So let's just dive in uh, to Exodus chapter 3. We're continuing our series uh, in the book of Exodus, Redeemed for Worship. Well-known, for good reason, passage. You know, last week we basically read a short one uh, about how God begins to act in response to the prayers of His people. Okay, He's seeing, He's hearing, He's knowing what His people are going through in their slavery in Egypt. Okay, but we're still wondering uh, what that's going to look like. What will God do? And so we turn uh, to the text to see how God is initiating His response uh, to what His people are enduring and crying out for. So let's look at uh, Exodus chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 1 through 22. Listen to these words. Uh, Moses writes, and he says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you. And this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. And then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and all that has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now please, 
Let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. And after that, He will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go away empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. This is God's Word. Amen? Amen. Moses is minding his own business. He's in the middle of nowhere doing what he has done for 40 years. Previous passages tell us that Moses, although from Egypt, raised in Egypt, was found himself in Midian. He was there. He had a wife. He had a child. And he had a job. He was a shepherd. He was taking care of another man's flock, which indicates that pretty much he had nothing. Right? He, was, he hadn't acquired his own wealth. He didn't have a lot of things. He was simply a servant an overseer of somebody else's property. But he was content to live with the man, previous passages tell us. And so, decades have gone by, 40 years, he's just minding his own business, and he has led Jethro's flock away from Midian into the wilderness, and he brings these sheep to Horeb. On the west side of the wilderness, west side of Midian, actually a little bit more towards Egypt, slightly. And he finds himself at the mountain. Again, minding his own business, doing his own thing, most likely all by himself. And what we see here is that in the midst of this ordinary moment, something extraordinary occurs. In the most unexpected place, in the most unexpected time, in the most unnatural, unexpected way, what? The text says that the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. Right In the midst of just nine to five, 40 years of just simply shepherding some other dude's flock, the text says that the angel of the Lord appears to him. You see, that God is showing up in a very unexpected way, in a very unexpected time, in a very unexpected place. On the west side of the wilderness, on the edge of a mountain, in the life of a very unexpected man. Moses. The angel of the Lord appears to him. Really, this is nothing less, no one less, than God Himself. God shows up. You say, what is God doing? As He is seeing and hearing And knowing, what is God doing? Well, first of all, we see that the process of of initiating the redemption of His people starts with God showing up. Right? He's not absent from the situation. He's showing up. The angel of the Lord appears to him. Later on, uh, you see that that the text says that, that God calls to him out of the bush. This isn't some messenger only. This is God. Okay? And later on, even more, verse 6, that Moses hid his face 
for he was afraid to look at the angel. No, no, no. He was afraid to look at God. This is God revealing himself, making himself known, showing up as the angel of the Lord. There's a lot of discussion about what is going on there. Is this Jesus pre-incarnate? For Jesus? Not going there. What we do know is that it's God. God has showed up. And Moses knows it, right? I mean, at first he's, he's turning aside to see this great sight. And as he approaches this sight, God sees him. The Lord sees him approaching. And he, and he, he provides a, a gracious distance. Because as we see, the, the God that is showing up is no one less than the holy God. So Moses, who, who stands in the midst of a holy God, recognizes in that moment his profanity, if you will. His, he, is, he has fallen short of this holy God. Right? He provides this gracious distance. Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. Is the ground in and of itself holy? No. What makes the ground holy? The presence of what? The holy God. So God is showing up. He's revealing himself to Moses in time, in this place, albeit unexpected, but he's revealing himself as nothing less than the holy God. And thus making this place what? Holy. And so again, in repeated times throughout Exodus, we'll see God providing His presence in the midst of His people, but at the same time, barrier, distance, a gracious distance. Because when the profane interacts with the holy, what do we know? That the holiness of God cannot endure the sinfulness of man. And so the holy God of heaven shows up, reveals Himself, provides a gracious distance saying, take off your sandals. Stay back. The place on which you're standing is holy ground. Our God is one who is revealing Himself as holy. And at the same time, you know, it, it should also maybe be explained that when, when we talk about holy, you know, R.C. Sproul in his book, The Holiness of God, would would point out that holiness, we typically think about purity, right? It's His perfection, it's His purity. But holiness, in its simple definition, just means to be separate, to be distinct, right? And so we see that this holy God is revealing Himself and, and, and putting on display the, the creatureliness, the profanity, the the difference, the, that He transcends us, and at the same time He is with us. He's imminent, right? Transcendent and imminent God. So He's separate. But at the same time, He's altogether connected to Moses, isn't He? He's separate from Moses, but He's altogether connected to Moses and His people. Right? Verse 6, I'm the God of your Father. This, this holy God is also the covenant God of your Father. You know, Moses' father was Amram. Is he talking about Amram's God? Or is he talking about the God of all of his fathers? The, the God of Israel? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? I think the answer to those questions is yes. I am the God of your father. The God who made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who made covenantal commitment. The one who's connected to you and your roots. And showing up and appearing to you as holy. So what is God doing? He's, he's revealing Himself. He's showing Himself. He's presenting Himself in the midst of a, a burning bush that's not consumed, that Moses that on the one hand is attracted to, let me check this out, but also at the very same time is repulsed by and scared to death of. Because that's how the profane and the human interacts with the holy when it is truly understood, right? R.C. Sproul in his book, The Holiness of God, talks about this on a number of occasions. This, this idea that we're attracted to it, we want to engage it. 
But at the very same time, we don't want anything to do it. We're scared to death of those things that are separate and distinct and other from us. Especially when humans interact with an Almighty God. And so Moses responds appropriately. He hides his face. He's afraid to look at God. Fear is the appropriate response for sinful humans in the presence of a holy God, is it not? So Moses responds in a way that we have all too often lost today. Right? Probably because we're not aware as Moses is in this very unique moment. We're not aware of the presence of a holy God in the midst of our life, are we? And so we don't live in that sense of awe and reverence and straight up fear. Because we're not engaged with and attentive to and cognizant of the sovereign presence of a holy God, are we? When's the, some of you may have had those kind of moments. I'm not trying to go your burning bush moment tonight, but maybe you've felt a real deep sense of the holiness of God, and you have felt that fear. And again, we, we look at those moments and say, oh, those are really special moments. And they are. But you know what? They just wake us up to our constant reality. He's always holy. He's always present. Whether we are feeling it like goosebumps or not. And our lives are to always be characterized by, a, by a, an attraction to and a reverence for and a, and a desire to worship. And at the very same time, a wow, a, a fear, a hesitation in the presence of a holy God. Especially when we're a people that fall so short in our sin. Our God is one who has revealed Himself as the holy covenant God. He's to be feared. And so, here He is. He's present. Yay, everybody clap. Who cares? Right? Why is He here? What is He doing? We see that our God is revealing Himself as the Holy Covenant God, but He's also revealing Himself as faithful. Look at what He says. I've, I've surely seen the affliction of My people who are in Egypt. And I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. Where have we heard that language before? Just take a... You may not even need to flip your page. And the text says that... It goes on to say, verse 8, I've come down to deliver them out. Why is He here? Why is He presenting Himself? Why is He showing up in this bush that is not burned? Why in this unexpected way, unexpected place in the life of this unexpected man does God show up? Because He's here not just to reveal Himself, but in the revealing of Himself, He is presenting Himself to us as our Deliverer. He's come to do something. He's come to set us free. He's come down. One commentator said, He stooped. The one who lives and is worshipped and exists in heaven with the adoration of all the angels throughout all eternity, that God has come down, stooped to our level for the purpose of delivering us. That's why God is here. He's come down. He's come to rescue them. Sound familiar? Where else in Scripture do we see the, the, the coming down of God to deliver His people? Do we see that ultimately fulfilled in the life, the incarnation, the ministry of Jesus Christ? What is so exciting about Christmas other than the 55-inch screen TV? You get my joke, right? What's so exciting about Christmas has nothing to do with new technology. What's exciting about Christmas is that God comes to deliver us. He shows up. He doesn't leave us in our suffering and in our sorrow. No, He leaves heaven and comes in the person of Jesus to deliver us from our sin. That's what God is doing here. 
He's come down. He's present. He's in the midst of for the purpose of redemption. So he's revealing himself as the holy covenantal God. And so in coming, he's proving himself to be faithful. He's made these promises, right? To Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob. And now he's coming true. He's showing himself faithful that when I make a promise, I'm going to do as much as absolutely necessary to keep that promise, even if it means I've got to show up myself to get the job done. That's what God is doing. He hears their cry. He sees them. You know, I, I can't help but notice, maybe I'm getting stuck on these phrases, but I can't help but notice the possessive language of God in this particular section. Look at what he says. I've surely seen the affliction of my people. Right? Not just the children of Israel. Not just the nation of Israel. Not just the Hebrews. I've seen the affliction of my people. Verse 10, Come, I'll send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people. The possessive nature of what God is saying about why he's here. I've come down to deliver my people. It reminds me, at least the emotion of it, reminds me of, again, probably unwise and unsubmissive dad, so I'm not putting God in that category. But I remember having uh, Annika. Well, Dor- okay, Doreen had Annika. Okay? M- misspoke there. Let's be clear. Doreen gave birth to Annika. Okay? But Annika had some preemie kind of issues and she found herself in the NICU and all I could think about is when are we going to see Annika when is she going to leave that place and come and hang out with me in this place and I couldn't help but feel that uh, kind of possessive fatherly um, just emotion that says that's my daughter not yours that's my daughter bring her back to me I want her where she belongs, with me. She's mine. Feel that maybe in a little bit of uh, insight into what I think I'm reading there. Or maybe in another way to look at it, maybe a, a, a spouse that is seeing potential danger in, the, in somebody else kind of flirting or joking around or giving attention to or, or maybe even seducing another spouse. And the reaction, I, and I have one example in mind in kind of my relational history where, where one uh, spouse was wandering away in a relationship with someone else and the other spouse saying, no way, to the other guy. It's my wife. Possess it. She doesn't belong with you. She belongs with me. I get that sense with God here. Maybe overstating it. But I don't want to miss that. These are the people of God. These, they don't belong in Egypt. I mean, yeah, you look back and see God in His divine sovereignty has brought them there to, to carry out His purposes. But ultimately, God has something so much more for His people. They're His. They're His children. They don't belong to Pharaoh. They don't belong in Egypt. Right? That God has come to get His people. Israel has no right to the people of God. They have no uh, uh, ability to continue to enslave those who are God's. And so God comes to get His people that He might take Him to His chosen place. Right? In the, in, in the, in the pattern of redemption, we see God showing up, coming down, to get His people from a place to set them free. But understand this, the nature of redemption, you don't just get that without a particular God-ordained place that God wants for you. Right? That there's this idea that God is coming into a place to remove and extract you from that place to bring you to another place where you can know, treasure, and enjoy Him in that place. Right? So he talks about, I've got another land for them. Goshen is not the place I have for them. I, I, I'm bringing them up out of Egypt to a, a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to a different place. And so I've come 
to take them out of here and bring them there. Right? Then in the divine purposes of God, there is a place, right? And Jesus says in John 14, what does He say? I'm going to what? Prepare a place for you. Place. Place. God has a place for His people. Our God reveals Himself as holy. The covenant God He reveals Himself as faithful. And now look at verse 10. You know, I would think at this point, maybe Moses is like, hey man, this is great. Good for you. You know, like you've come. It's, that's pretty exciting. You know, like, and then you hear these words. Come, let's go. I'm going to send you. And Moses is like, excuse me? Pardon? Right? Where are we going? What are you talking about? Come. It, it almost sounds like Jesus, right? Follow me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. Just that, that the, just that, that divine imperative that, that says, come, let's go. I've come down, but you're going to come with me. We're going to do this together. I'm going to use you. And Moses is like, who am I? You know, God in his purposes, he's revealing himself, but he's also raising up a deliverer, isn't he? Moses is that human deliverer. And it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to Moses. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Of all people. I'm going to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? I don't think so. You know, it, is that statement one where he's just, you know, a little low in the self-confidence area? You know, I'm kind of washed up. You know, maybe, you know, 40 years ago I tried to kill this guy, bury him, I killed this guy, threw him in the sand, and tried to be of help. But, you know, that was 40 years ago. You know, my joints and, you know, I, don't, I can't do what I used to do. Is that what's going on here? Some people would say that this really is a, is a sign of humility. He understands the task. He understands the weight of what it would take, the kind of power, the kind of authority, the kind of credibility that it would take to redeem a nation out of the most powerful nation on the planet who's under the hands of the most powerful ruler in all of the known world. Me? You can understand why he's asking that question. Wouldn't we be asking the same question? What do you think? Oh no, I'd be I'm a man of faith. I would have prayed and fasted. I would have heard one of those like motivational speeches by, you know, Tom Foley. And uh, you know, I, I wouldn't be living in a van down by the river. Anyway, uh, I went Saturday Night Live on you. No, you'd be saying the same thing. Who am I? That I should go to Pharaoh. That's an understandable question. Definitely hesitancy. Hesitancy to hear the call and respond to the call with a willingness to just trust God and go for it. You can understand that. It's not unthinkable. But you see, and you know, we might even be looking at it and saying, why would God use Moses? Why would God use people? It, it, especially people like him, especially people like us. But we see we have to come to the reality and the knowledge and, and it, that, that's what God does. He does it. He's come down, but yet He chooses in His sovereignty and according to His divine ways and wisdom that we can't really understand, He uses human instruments to carry out His purposes in the world. Does He not? Most unthinkable, unqualified, they could never do it kind of people. People like you and me. People like Moses. That's what God does. When God is going to do something in the world, He's going to do it through His people. We've heard that often. And you will continue to hear that. And if you think about it, Christ is the fulfillment of that as well, is He not? Right? That, that God is doing it, and at the very same time, a human is doing it. That becomes so integrated in the person of Jesus, doesn't it? He is the one who is fully God. God's doing it. And fully man. Man is doing it. Full integration of perfected manhood. Divinity. Jesus. This is what God does. 
And so he says, yeah, I, I get all that. I understand that you're really not qualified, that you know, it doesn't make any sense, but here's the deal. Let me reassure you, I'm going with you. Right, just like Jesus says, right? I'm sending you into, into the world to proclaim the gospel to all nations, baptizing them, teaching them. And what does he say at the end of that great commission? I'm going to be with you always to the end of the age. When God calls us, he's not abandoning us, is he? He says, I'm going to go with you. Don't worry, I'm still doing it. <laughs> Let's not be confused about who's doing it. You're coming with me, though. I'm sending you. I want to use you. I'm, I'm choosing you, but I'm going to be with you. Let's be clear. And then he gives him a sign, which really calls Moses to faith, doesn't it? Here's the sign. When it's all said and done, you're going to worship me here. Wow. Wow. Well, really? Are you sure? Maybe have a sign for today instead of for then. Right? As if the burning bush wasn't enough. So here he is. Moses is being raised up as a deliverer. So God is revealing himself as the holy covenant God. He is also revealing himself to be faithful. He sees their suffering. He hears their cry. And he has come down to deliver them out. And Moses transitions to another question, which is an important one. He says, not only who am I, but who are you? <laughs> who are you? If I, if I go to the people of Israel, and they ask me, what is his name? Seems like an odd question, doesn't it? What's his name? Oh, that's going to make the difference? Well, I think it is. One commentator pointed out, and I think correctly so, that, and I think we can identify with this, that the context that these people lived in was one where the identity of their God, the identity of who was in control of the world, the identity and the essence of the person that was to be worshipped was very ambiguous at best. Understand that Egypt and these surrounding regions were full of very pluralistic, very syncristic, very pantheistic, not monotheistic clarity. It's not there. And so when he were to say, the God of your fathers, there may even be confusion and ambiguity in the mind of God's people about who is the God of our fathers. And I think we live in a day and age where we talk about God loves you. Who is the God that loves me? We live in an ambiguous day, don't we? There needs to be specificity. When it comes to the God who has revealed himself and his plan to redeem. We need to know him. Specifically. By name. The one who is redeeming us. If we are to enter in and experience all the blessings of said redemption. We need to know his name. Not just know of a redeemer. Who is he? Right? And so Moses knows that there's probably going to be a mess of who is this. And maybe even Moses doesn't know the name Yahweh. It's not the first time that it's revealed here, as we're going to look at it in a second, in the Scriptures. Not the first time. It is the first time in Exodus. So it's important to know, if we're talking about redemption, it's important to know the who in order to enter in to its blessings. I think we can understand that today, right? Specificity, clarity is good. And so the text goes on, who are you? And, and God responds and says, I am who I am. Well, now we have clarity. Right? A mystery for sure. Not clarity, but a mystery. He says, I am who I am. I am that I am. And he said, say to this, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Using a verb, right? I am has sent me to you. Okay, now we understand. We've got our minds wrapped around that. And then he finally goes on to say the name, right? God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, has appeared to me saying, 
I observed all that has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise I'll bring you up out of the affliction. Yahweh. What's going on there? Well, about a month ago, we looked at this, didn't we? In the Story of God series, we talked about the God who is, the God who eternally exists. End of story. Whether we look into the past, He exists. Whether we look into the future, He exists. If we are in the present, He is the God who is. As John Piper says, He just absolutely is. Very mysterious name from the verb to be. Philip Ryken says this, His special name means something like, He who is. I am the one who is. And always has been. In His name we also see that He has no past or future, but only an eternal present. God is the one who always is. He is who He is. He has always been who He is. And will always be who He is. And so it kind of makes sense that He would be named as such, Because it reveals His essence. Name tells us essence. It's His identity. It's not just the name that we say. It's about who He is. He is the God who is. And always has been. That's the God who is revealing Himself. That is the very same God that is the holy covenant God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That God is the one that you're to tell them uh, has sent you and is going to bring them up out of Egypt. This is a name that reveals Himself further and must be remembered forever. We can't forget this name, can we? Yahweh. And you know what? As we look at the New Testament, and we see the person and work of Jesus, we ask the question, what does His name mean? Does anybody know what Jesus means? Somebody knows. The Lord saves, or Yahweh saves. At the name of Jesus, right? Every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that He is Lord, He is Yahweh. And we remember Him throughout all generations. He's revealed Himself as the Holy Covenant God. He's revealed Himself by name as the faithful deliverer of His people. And I know you're feeling what I'm feeling right now. Man, there's a lot in this text. And we are barely scratching the surface. So hang in there. We're almost there. God is showing up. He's revealing Himself as the deliverer of His people. Right? That's really what's taking place in this passage And we see that verse 16 through 22 really just goes to show that what God is calling Moses to partner with him in is the execution of the plan. God is not all talk. Amen? (laughs) When God says He's going to do something, God is going to do it. Right? He knows exactly. You see foreknowledge in this final section. I'm, I'm telling you to go. You tell the elders of Israel. You tell them who I am. You tell them what I'm about to do. And guess what? They're going to listen to you. Right? They're going to listen. I know what's going to happen. Let me tell you ahead of time. Let me reassure you that I will deliver my people. This is what's going to happen. You're going to go. They're going to listen. And then you're going to go together to the king of Egypt. You're going to go. The the, the elders of Israel and you, of all people, are going to go. You're going to tell them that you're going to take a three days journey into the wilderness. Basically, and Pharaoh would have heard it this way, we leave him. We're out of here. Our God has met with us. We're going to worship him somewhere else far from here. We're not coming back. It's silly to think about a ragtag group of elders and, you know, some washed up guy who shepherds sheep in the middle of nowhere are going to go to the most powerful man in the world and just say, yeah, God met with us. We're out of here. We're going to go worship him somewhere else. We're not coming back. 
God knows it's craziness, right? And he knows that Pharaoh won't listen. (laughs) Pharaoh won't let him go. Just the fact that we show up and start yipping and yapping and proclaiming this is what we're going to do, that doesn't mean that anything is necessarily going to happen. Just our voice, just our declaration, right? We are insufficient in and of ourselves. We're called to serve what God has called us to do. We're called to proclaim His truth and His message, but we cannot cause anything. We cannot manufacture any particular redemptive results. God's got to do it. God's got to do it. We can't think too lowly of ourselves or too highly of ourselves. We have to see who we are. His instruments to be faithful, to proclaim. Really, That's all that God is calling Moses to do at this time, isn't it? Just go tell people. That's it? Yeah, you just go tell people, go tell the elders, and then together with the elders, go tell Pharaoh that you're out of here. Here's the deal. I know that sounds crazy. That's why he's not going to listen to you. He's not going to let you go. I know that, you know that. But, look at what he says. I know the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. Nothing happens if God does not compel it to do so by his mighty hand. (laughs) Right? I mean, we're talking about the most powerful leader in the world who has an incredible asset, tons of slaves to get stuff done. (laughs) And when we think about us in our state that is indifferent in our sin to the purposes and plans of God, where we consider who we are and how we would respond to just simply a message. It's just crazy. But God does something. At the, at, the, at the proclamation, God shows up in power. His hand stretches out. And what I see His hand doing is two different things. Verse 20 says that He stretches out His hand To strike Egypt. Don't miss that word. Strike Egypt. He is not going to go and kind of poke and prod Egypt and, you know, kind of put his arm around them and kind of, hey, you know, you probably should let them go. The text says that he's going to strike Egypt. It's judgment. When God saves his people, he is judging his enemies. Are we okay with that? Are we uncomfortable with judgment in 2014? I think we are. We don't like that. Don't judge. Right? Don't strike me. It's too harsh. It's too cold. It's too true. Got to be gentle. But the text is not gentle at all. I'm going to stretch out my hand. I'm going to strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. It's going to take the movement of my strong, powerful hand for anything to happen. And when I move, and when I move so powerfully, and I judge Egypt, and we don't even, we're beginning to just think about the catastrophic judgment of God on the, on the nation of Egypt. We know that their plagues are coming. We're going to get there. But it's through that that God is redeeming His people through judgment. But at the very same time, as he is executing judgment on the enemies of God, guess what else he is doing? With his other hand, as he is he striking his enemies, what is he doing? He's, he's extending grace to his people. Grace and judgment. Is that not how God redeems? Through the execution of judgment and the dispensing of grace to his people. He's, the, he's just and what? Justifier of the one who has faith in Christ Jesus. Grace and judgment. Maybe I'm stretching it a little bit. That's what I see. I see God uh, moving to redeem. Right? Compelling Pharaoh through the execution of his judgment, through the plagues. And at the very same time, I see God granting favor, extending grace, making a distinction between who are his and who are not with judgment and grace. Text says that, verse 21, I'll give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, God will deliver us as his people. 
<laughs> when you go. <laughs> what an amazing statement of just sovereign control over the affairs of men. And when He lets you go, when you go, you shall not go empty-handed. Each woman shall ask of her neighbor, any woman who lives in her house, for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing, you shall put them on your sons and your daughters. You shall plunder the Egyptians. Friends, that's holy war language. Ooh, that sounds like the Middle East. That's where that stuff comes from. Holy war. God is unleashing His judgment on His enemies as He is delivering His people by His grace. Right? Basically, Egypt is plundered. And God's people are provided for and blessed. He's devastating His enemies. Our God has revealed Himself by name. Right? When Moses is just wandering in the middle of nowhere, probably with no one to talk to, with, with, with no reason to expect that, that, that anything different is going to happen today. In the ordinariness, and the simplicity of his life, God reveals himself to him by name. We know his name. And He is the Holy and Faithful One who will deliver His people. you got to hear that. Not maybe. Not hopefully. He will deliver His people. Nothing will stand in the way of the sovereign intention of God to execute judgment on His enemies and to save and redeem and set free His people that they might be in His place to worship Him for who He is. Nothing will stand in the way of that. We see this here. We know its final fulfillment in Christ. And we're still awaiting that, aren't we? God has revealed Himself by name as the holy and faithful One who will deliver His people. How do you, in the midst of this best attempt sermon, in the midst of this uh, clear revelation of God in the Bible, how are you to respond to a holy, faithful, God, who will redeem you as His people. What do you do? I think we respond to a holy God with fearful reverence, don't we? Are you aware of God's presence? Do you need a burning bush text? Do you need a burning bush moment to wake you up to the reality that God is present? Omnipresent. You're not alone. You're not hiding. He sees you. He knows you. And His holiness is altogether real. How do we respond to faithfulness? Look at. I think we respond in trust. This is a God we can trust. Where in your life do you need to say, you know what? I'm struggling to trust God. I hear His word. But there's something inside of me that says, I don't believe it. I see what it says, but I can't live it. It's too hard. I'm going to take control. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to rely upon myself. Is there some aspect of your life that you stand in the presence of a holy, faithful God and say, I, I just can't? I think this text, in all of its hope, in all of its truth, calls us to trust and hope in God alone for redemption. When God says, I promise, I'm going to take you out. And God keeps that promise. We know how this story goes. And God fulfills that promise ultimately in Christ. When He says, I promise, I will deliver you. And He does all that is necessary to give you that redemption. How do you not just receive it? 
with joy. <laughs> right? How do we not just say, I'll take it. I receive it by faith. I receive it with joy. If you're here tonight, and your soul has, has consistently been unreceptive, arms folded, not interested. Maybe you've seen God tonight. Maybe He's revealed Himself to you in this text. And you see Him for who He is. You see His intention to set you free from sin, from Satan and death. And you're saying, you know what? Yeah, I'm no longer folding my arms. I receive it with joy and gratitude. Give it to me. I think we are called to respond to God's gracious offer of deliverance by taking it. Again, compelled by a mighty hand. Our God has revealed Himself by name as the Holy and Faithful One who will deliver and has delivered His people. Amen? Amen. Our Lord, words, human words, that is, cannot express accurately enough, briefly enough, long enough, however, which way we look at it. We just, we're willing, available people. But our words fall so short to show the robust nature of who You are. What You've come into this world to do through Jesus Christ. We pray tonight that Your Word has gone forth. That You are compelling people by Your mighty hand to respond with faith, worship, and joy as they receive Your salvation. Thank You for Christ. He is the fulfillment of all that we discuss. May we treasure Him and see Him in more fullness as we engage these truths. Praise You as the holy covenant God who has delivered His people. Amen.